Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Ham and Egg News series, posted April 18th, 2018, titled 21 Reasons the Flood Didn't, Did, Didn't Happen, featuring Purple Dan. Welcome to Apologia, and another edition of Ham and Egg News, where we react to Ken Ham reacting to things. We have lots of jobs available at the Creation Museum, the Ark, Answers in Genesis. We have massive need for seasonal. It's interesting that Ken brings this up. I've been noticing him mentioning job hirings a lot more on social media of late, and have been wondering to myself if I should be pleased that the number of people willing to sign Answers in Genesis overreaching statement of faith and conduct was becoming a limiting factor on getting help. Does it really matter if your cleaning staff holds to a 6,000-year-old earth? Or if your goat keepers occasionally look at porn at home? I happened to catch one of Ken's Facebook Live recruitment videos last week. And they make cookies. Wow, look at those cookies. And notice something that I passed along to friend of the show, Hammett Meta, who wrote this article detailing the situation. Ken advised that seasonal workers would not be held to the same statement of faith standards of full-time leadership staff. This would be a huge concession, and probably a great thing for the local communities where Ken's attractions reside. But, rather than enjoy some increased attention for his call to workers, like all good leaders, Ken decided to fire back on Twitter. Oh, the lies atheists tell. But then again, they're atheists, so truth is whatever they make up, so the end justifies the means. Only reason I link to this piece of made-up trash is to remind us how insecure these people are and to pray for them. Now I'm made up trash? I'm lying and making this stuff up? Roll clip. We are a Christian organization, and as a Christian organization, uh, we employ people who are Christians. Uh, we, we actually, for the seasonals, we actually have a more abridged statement of faith, the fundamentals of Christianity, not our detailed one for all of our full-time managers and others. So for seasonals, uh, I know there's a lot of young people who still aren't necessarily mature in all their thinking in lots of areas, but uh, you know, if, they can, uh, if they can sign the tenets of the fundamentals of the Christian faith, uh, they can they can work here, correct? Yes, sir. You and I are not on great terms anymore, are we, Ken? You have me blocked on Twitter, but I still saw this tweet from the Alberta Homeschool Conference that I was supposed to have attended this weekend. I'm still a little raw that I was banned from this event, Ken. I suppose you couldn't have said, these Canadians were thrilled, if I had been in the audience. I noticed you used the phrase, AIG is invading Canada. Yeah, we're not going to let that happen. What we're doing today, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Andrew Snelling, our geologist, has a PhD from Sydney University Did in Australia. Someone say Andrew Snelling. Purple Dan. Thanks, Zeus. Paul, you didn't think you can get away with doing a video on geology without me, did you? Get away with it? Are you kidding? Geology is my kryptonite. Desk is yours. So our first article is 21 Reasons Noah's Worldwide Flood Never Happened. Only one counterexample is needed to completely disprove a concept. One major thing that interests me is radiometric dating. If a physicist can prove that the 
half-life of uranium can change over time, it would mean that the Earth is not 4.5 billion years old. It could actually mean that the Earth is much younger or even much older. The problem is, you need to prove that first. And so that's why we asked Dr. Snelling to come on today to go through each of these kind of real quickly. Because we all know everything in science goes quickly. How would they know? They weren't there in the past. Exactly. We've only got the present. And that's why we need an eyewitness who was there to tell us. This is probably the single most dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. Many people have brought up the idea of forensics before, but I'll bring it up again. If someone commits a murder and leaves physical evidence behind, but no one saw him or her do it, did it happen? According to you, the answer would be no. You can go a step further and look at geological events. Impact events. In our lifetime, has there ever been an impact event powerful enough to change the Earth's climate? No? So, it could never have happened, right? The problem is that we can go to geological features, look at them in extreme detail, we can see concentric fracture zones around these features. We can see rocks fused together by extreme heat. And the only logical conclusion was that sometimes big rocks fall from the sky and cause great sadness. Were you there? Have you seen it happening? Well, I mean, no, uh, I haven't. But I have faith in my lord and savior, Carl Sagan, if, if that counts. Hey, by the way, just before you start giving the answers to these... Uh, did you hear that, Paul? Hear what? He's going to give... Answers in Genesis. <laughs> get it? I get it. I mean, you get it, right? I got it. So the first one is the stair-stepped appearance of erosion um, in the sedimentary rocks in the Grand Canyon. If it was all deposited in a worldwide flood in one year, it wouldn't be enough time for the rocks to harden. So when the car- canyon was carved out through those rocks, the walls would collapse. Um, how does he know it takes millions of years for rocks to harden? Because he went through the effort of looking for information in science instead of the Bible. You can take cloths and change the environment to be favorable for some cementation to occur. Calcium carbonate is a good one since it's not that difficult to replicate in the lab. Observing a tiny sample can give you an indication as to how quickly such a process would happen in the real world at a bigger scale. You can do this at home with just a kettle and tap water, if your water is as bad as ours of course. Boiling the water in the kettle over and over again, you should see a scale build up in a few days. Now imagine how long it would take if a beach were to scale up like that (laughs) at the same rate. Not millions of years, but a couple of years uh, for it to happen, which is still longer than a flood event though. Because the, bo- the waters are saturated with lime, between the tide, the beach actually get, the sand on the beach actually gets cemented to form limestone. And that happens between two tides. Look, I'm sure you saw a journal article where it described cementation between sand grades and between tides. And by that I mean one or two sand grades cementing to other grains, not rocks forming in front of your very eyes. Also, limestone is an aggregate of calcium carbonate minerals, not sand. What would be fascinating is quartzite forming after just one flood event. That would probably make me believe in Noah's flood. Uh, I was in the Grand Canyon recently. There'd been a flood in the Little Colorado River and there was a a remnant of a sand layer that had been cemented rock hard that had been deposited by that just a few weeks ago by that flood. You don't show photos to prove what you saw. As a geologist, when you discover something that significant, you document it, you map it, you sample it, you go to town because this would be something that would really give credit to your cause. But you didn't. You, you didn't do that because deep down I think you know that what you're saying is nonsense. If you live in an arid environment, go take a hammer and go hit the soil in your backyard. It's rock hard, isn't it? 
soil can bind together forming really hard substrate but you just add water hit it again with a hammer it'll be soft now take, take a piece of sandstone leave it in water for a bit and then hit it with a hammer and share your results with me do it in the comments i urge you of recent floods inside canyons have produced layers that then have been eroded with steep cliffs rock hard material that was only deposited a few weeks earlier you can repeat the sentence rock hard until your wife gets jealous it does not make the samples you're talking about rocks furthermore it does not take millions of years for rocks to form it varies wildly from magma cooling down forming rocks in seconds or some sedimentary rocks forming in tens to hundreds of thousands of years it's when you start compounding different geological settings where it just gets insane. Stop using millions and millions of years as a buzzword. It only takes something to form in about 10,000 years to completely ruin your silly beliefs. The next one is salt and gypsum deposits. Um, he talks about that are really thick in the Paradox Formation in Utah. He says basically they can only be produced by the evaporation of seawater with drying in between. Well, that's patently false. Um, salt deposits can form as soon as you get water that's super saturated with salt, the salt will come out of solution. And you can do an experiment in a laboratory like that. You keep adding salt to hot water and you get to the point where it won't dissolve anymore and it'll actually form a salt layer on the bottom. Andrew, you're not really getting what Prof Collins is saying. He states clearly that salt and gypsum deposits 200 feet thick are found. Your description of saturated salt water does not address the formation of extremely large layers of gypsum crystal formation. This is another experiment you can do at home. Take salt water, warm it up and add so much salt that it can't dissolve any more salt. And observe the salt at the bottom. You'll see a very fine layer of crystals. You can leave the solution to evaporate and you'll then see a really nice thick layer of salt crystals. You can document the time as well. Now take an Olympic swimming pool and do the same. How long would that take? Now you can scale that to the size of an entire country and you will start to see the problem in your argument. Also, where did all that salt come from? Sand dunes with giant cross bedding in Zion National Park, he says basically they would have, they, it was a desert. You see all these layers that are tilted, they're the remnants of, of, of dunes, but they claim that they are desert dunes, right. but, but what they don't tell people is the same sort of dunes can form underwater. Well, according to the source given by Prof Collins, the cross bedding are the correct size and angle, which should be associated with sand dunes or aeolian environments. Water currents produce rather small crossbeds and turbidity currents cause larger ones. You're wrong and you have zero evidence backing you up. Creationists have done that research. Creationists you actually do the field that. work mm -hmm. and you can actually verify it from experimental evidence. Of then link it so I can study it and point out the flaws in it. The next three are kind of almost uh, all together. Fossilized mud cracks, raindrop prints, and sort of nest of dinosaur eggs. Like basically these couldn't have been formed as a result of the flood. Well, he's, he's assuming that they're, mu they're mud cracks. He wasn't right. there to see the right. mud dry and crack. You were not there to see when God created the moon. So therefore the moon must have been formed due to natural causes. A very weak argument, of course, but it's no different than yours. The argument from Prof Collins is that mud cracks can't form during a flood event because cracks are formed due to drying, which is the opposite of drowning. It did also mention that these cracks can form underwater if enough pressure is applied to the soil, squeezing out the water, something that Prof Collins argues is not possible under a flood event described in the Bible. We can study the drying of mud right now. These cracks appear due to the expansion and contraction of clay minerals with respect to water. Why should what we see now be different back then? Also, if it isn't mud cracks, what is it? 
We've looked at some of these fossilised, supposed fossilised raindrop prints in the Grand Canyon. Dinosaurs. So what could they be, do you think? Uh, Just the, different markings? Well, different markings, but also if you've got some chemical difference in the rock, it, it will accumulate the, the chemicals uh, okay. and precipitate. And then they misinterpret that as a raindrop? It. That's a good question, Ken. You can see how uncomfortable Andrew gets, and he immediately responds with a hand-wavy word, so the answer. Personally, I don't think raindrop fossils are that significant. One could argue that the surface was purred by raindrops and then buried by a small mud flow which would preserve the structure. And they would argue that such an event could happen in days. Which it could. Now the other thing is that anyone, can you tell me, has anyone seen a dinosaur build a nest? No. no. Again, have you seen the creation of the sun? Has anyone seen the creation of the sun? Why is it there? Mm hmm. Fossilised dinosaur eggs are easily explained during the flood. Go to our website. Okay. Yes, yes. At any point in time you want to know something, just go onto our website. Please, make it easy for us to brainwash you. Hey, for all the young people in the audience, a lot of young people today, I want you to know something. If you just have a little bit of information like Dr. Snelling has given you... Unfortunately, that was my problem when I was a young Earth creationist. I had just the little bit of information that my pastors and teachers wanted me to have. A little information is dangerous. It's having all the information that helps to arrive at the best conclusions. The majority of people out there have no idea what to believe, and they'll just regurgitate this stuff, and if you've done a little bit of study and you've got the answers, you can be a great witness to them. So the answer to someone regurgitating information is to learn a couple of phrases to regurgitate back? This sounds like people just swapping memes. What about actually learning and understanding the subject matter you discuss? The next two are actually connected to the White Cliffs of Dover and the thicknesses of radiolarians on the Pacific Ocean floor. Little shells made by algae uh, that, that are actually found as fossilised in the chalk beds. And they're assuming these ones forming on the ocean floor today are the, the rate at which the chalk beds form. Studying this phenomenon now gives us an idea on how it works. We can then build a model and predict certain parameters. You're saying that we can't do that. Why? Why would the rate of deposition change? Also, you're disregarding the argument of Prof. Collins made regarding sunlight. If the amount of algae present in the ocean to form the cliffs in one setting, there would not have been enough sunlight to keep them alive, so it would not have been possible to have so many at one single time. Well, now, the chalk faces at Dover, how thick are they? Uh, a thousand feet thick. This is very wrong. The cliff faces at maximum only 350 feet high, and if you're counting the thickness, the thickest part of the bed is only 1,600 feet high. If you can't even get the small basic fact right, then how can anyone take you seriously? You can't use what's happening on the present ocean floor to explain what you've got up on the continent. Are you serious? What if, and please, listen, I don't want to blow your mind with this large bomb right now. What if, what if the area the cliffs formed were under the water while it was forming? And eventually it was lifted up out of the water by some tectonic action. I mean, wow. You see, they say that these critters die slowly over millions of years, fall to the ocean floor and accumulate. A fraction of an inch every thousand years. This is another fact you could have just googled. Of course, the rate of deposition of these critters vary considerably. Even then, in a thousand years, a bit of about 20 inches would have been formed. Which is much faster than a fraction of an inch, obviously. Well, in Kansas, in the same chalk beds, you've got a fossilised fish 12 feet long with an undigested fish in its stomach. It's not surprising that you find such fossils in these beds. The creatures died, sunk to the bottom, and maybe some sediment flew over it and it got preserved. If it was only a fraction of an inch per thousand years, these creatures would never have been fossilised. Why? You were not there to see them not get fossilised. 
in the pre-flood world, there was such prolific uh, production of these creatures that when the flood came, the water chemistry changed so quickly that they all collapsed and immediately buried these creatures very rapidly. No, if there were enough of these creatures to create these chalk beds all around the world in one setting, then no other animal would have been able to survive in the ocean. They were probably just suffocated. Remember this. Young Earth creationists say that the oceans and everything had much less water back then before the fountains of the deep broke open. Hey, Andrew, you know what somebody said here? This guy's on fire. <laughs> well, of course, I get passionate about it because I get, I get angry at the way these guys misrepresent us. Do you think people like me don't get angry? People who love science, seeing people such as yourself, masquerading as a scientist, promoting back thinking, also get rather angry. Now this kind of got me. None of the sedimentary rocks in the Grand Canyon contain fossilized pollen grains. And I thought, how do you know? Have you looked at every rock in the Grand Canyon to really know that? You don't have to look at every rock to come to a conclusion. Yes, there might be a chance that there is a rock with pollen, but it's extremely unlikely. And this is something that these people will never understand. In science, no matter what you do, there is always an element of uncertainty. Good scientists acknowledge this and try to minimize such uncertainties. It is impossible to eliminate all uncertainty. The first part of the flood, the rocks in the Grand Canyon are, are all marine creatures buried. It's only higher in the fossil record that you get the land creatures. So that's why you don't find the pores, uh, the, the uh, pollen from flowering plants with trilobites down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. They weren't living together. At, they were living at the same time in the pre-flood world, but they were living in different geographical areas. So they got buried at different stages during the flood. Wow, the mental gymnastics is fantastic. At the one hand, you have her saying that we don't know know if there isn't pollen in the rocks. And then you have Andrew saying that there shouldn't be pollen because the Grand Canyon has marine fossils in it. Well, how do the marine fossils get into the Grand Canyon if they should be in the ocean? Because of the flood? If these things lived at the same time, wind would have swept up pollen and other small biological organisms and spread them out over large areas. The rising flood water would then pick up this material and deposit it elsewhere along with the marine life. Do we find evidence that this is the case? No, we don't. So it's, it's unlikely that it happened that way. Can you explain how the water chemistry would change? That'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? From temperature, pH, oh, to yes, change really yes, quickly. With the fountains of the Great Deep breaking open, volcanic eruptions spewing out hot water, all the chemicals and, in those hot waters immediately change. And the, the ash and so on from yeah, the, the These things can change the water chemistry, sure. We would be able to document these changes since it would probably affect the rocks themselves. And we would also see it in studying the ice sheets, especially if it only happened a few thousand years ago, like you said. The next two, the Redwall limestone, they said it has lots of billions and billions of sea lily fossils, but then also the limestone layers show evidence of fossils being jumbled by rushing water, and they say that, that couldn't be. Well, the, the truth is we do observe these, these sea lilies, or crinoids, uh, all broken apart. Mm -hmm. And that's not the living condition, that's destruction. Destruction does not equate the flood. How could you have all these billions of creatures living in the pre-flood world? The answer is Genesis chapter 1, God commanded the waters to swarm. The author of the article was arguing that given the number of sea lily fossils we have, that every square foot of the entire planet would have had to have had one. Something unsustainable. And Andrew's answer isn't some kind of post hoc explanation as to why it would have been sustainable, but just God said so. If God said so is the real answer to all these questions. Why are we going through this point by point? There's evidence that there were very lots more shallow seas in the pre-flood world, which meant these creatures would grow on an enormous prolific scale. No, 
that would not be possible because the animals would all suffocate from the amount of algae in the water. You know, this, this person who says they're a Christian writing for an atheist magazine mm -hmm. against what the Bible teaches hasn't done any research. Is this so ironic coming from you silly people? This guy did his research. He's a retired professor of geology. He did more research than you three in combined quintuple. But that doesn't say much. Notice how they don't mention he's a professor. They want to make it seem that they have the upper hand in authority. People come to look at the evidence with glasses. Right. They've already got a bias and they only see what they want to see. Disregarding the fact that what you're saying is extremely ironic. Since we're all human, well, and sort of in any ways, we all have biases, yes. But as a scientist, you have to be prepared to have your viewpoint challenged and even disproven. The only thing that matters is the truth. And so we see the evidence for the flood because we're starting believing that the flood did occur. And that's why we're not surprised to find the evidence. The lack of self-awareness is just bizarre. That is the problem. When you come across a brand new geological feature, you have to look at every aspect of the evidence to build a theory as to what occurred. If you find something that contradicts your theory, you move on until you have taken account of every single little detail and then you can say with good knowledge what actually happened. If you go into research looking for evidence that something happened, you will find evidence for it. If not, you will make evidence for it and ignore anything that might contradict you. The next one was abundant uh, fusane charcoal is found in several different sedimentary rocks and he says, well, that had to come from fires and fires can be burning in a flood. Well, you had volcanoes going <laughs> off at the beginning of the Even flood. I can figure that could, one out. Could cause forest fires and burn and produce charcoal. Right. You are talking about enough rain to cover the entire earth with water. The trees will not burn underwater. River terraces exist on the side of the Colorado River canyon walls. They give ages, saying they're a lot older than what the flood is. Measurements of, of uh, the um dating methods that are flawed. The dating methods are based on the processes that we see operating today, ignoring what would have happened in the past, assuming that the day's rates have always been the same in the past. Humans have been observing radioactive decay since the late 1800s, and up to now, the decay rates have not changed. At all. Not even in the slightest. So no, the rates don't change, and radioactive dating is still valid. The Colorado River today is incapable of eroding our way that debris. The problem is time. A prisoner can carve his way out of a prison cell with just a spoon and a lot of time. So too can a stream of water slowly but surely remove material from rock until a gully turns into a canyon. The next couple here, like 14, 15, and even 16, rates. it's all about rates. There was a mud flow two years later uh, that carved through solid rock as if it was soft as butter on the sides of Grand Canyon, of uh, Mount St. Helens. Why on earth do these people keep up bringing Mount St. Helens? The mud flows that created the so-called canyons were made out of mud, hence mud flows. Go to your backyard and make a mound of dirt. Dump some water on it. Observe. Now do the exact same thing with a large rock. You should notice that the rock still retains its shape after dumping of water and the dirt should disperse. See, on this show, we do science experiments even your kids can do. Remember, Andrew, in Australia just a few years ago, there was a catastrophic rainfall on the top of a, um, yes. a, a, a range, up a in, plateau, and, in, Toowoomba. in Toowoomba, and it caused catastrophic mm. canyon formation and so on downstream. I would like to see photos of this so-called canyon. I'm feeling it's just a rather big gully or something. 
basically just topsoil being washed away and not bedrock. You know, the dove brought a fresh olive um, tree branch. And so how could that be? Because olive trees basically die if they're submerged for three months. But he refers to an experiment here, but gives no reference. <laughs> Rather ironic coming from you. But notice how they have no argument against that. Nothing. You can almost see them stumbling over words, figuring out what to say. Now, this one talks about the arc itself, because this would have been very high, a lot of wave action, a lot of, you know, wind power. There's no way Noah's Ark could have survived that. You're leaving out the part where the paper tells about the unlikelihood of storms moving sandbars thousands of miles across the United States. Anyways, the boat, yeah. Just, just talk about the boat. Experimenters in Korea actually built a scale model and, and subjected it in a, in a water tank to the sort of conditions that would be expected during the flood. And they showed that the, the dimensions that the ark was built that God specifically gave were perfect for stability in riding out the storms of the waves. You see, the problem is you're assuming the wood they had back then was as strong as the wood we have now. You can't know that. Do you have a sample of the wood used in the ark? I doubt it. In all seriousness, when scaling a model, you have to understand how such things would scale in the real world. The hydrodynamics might function at full scale, but the structure integrity simply won't. If it did, you could build a model airplane out of paper and balsa wood and scale it up to fit a human in it and it would work. Spoiler, it doesn't. He says that the sedimentary rocks in the Grand Canyon were all deposited, then they should be all deposited in less than a year underwater, uh, but that is just not the case. That's not what they show, is basically what no, he's saying. No, they don't. But wait a minute, it says in Genesis 7:11 that the fountains of the great deep broke up. It means rocks breaking Sounds up. Sounds like Earth earthquake to me. Yeah, he hasn't read. At this point in time, I would really recommend you, the person watching this video, read the paper written by Prof. Collins. It's a very brief overview, and it's not badly written. It should be linked down below. The last two parts are completely glanced over by these idiots, so I especially recommend religious people to give it a go. Prof Collins is a devout Christian, but it's not a nut job. And that's pretty good in my opinion. I really don't have anything further to say to these idiots, though. Is Jesus' second coming going to be global? Yes. yes. The context is talking about a global event, and Jesus is saying it's, the flood was exactly like that. Yeah, it's not going to be just local, like only those in Kentucky. Hmm. Kentucky is where some of my least favorite Christians are. A localized rapture might not be so bad. See, it's a secular humanist magazine called Free Inquiry. Okay, no, Skeptical Inquirer. Oh, sorry, Skeptical <laughs> Inquirer. I was thinking of a local I know what you're thinking group, of. Yeah. Hey, Free Inquiry Group of Kentucky, you got an accidental shout-out from Ken Ham. Nice. So we're going to move on to some other articles that we didn't get to the other day. I don't think we're going to bother. That's enough for one show. There are very few things in my life that grind my gears more than bad science. This goes for anti-vaxxers, 9-11 truthers, uh, chemtrail believers, and flat earthers, the entire lot, just a bunch of nut jobs. Thank you for listening, you skeptic squids, and thank you, Paul, for giving me a little platform on his channel to speak. Anytime, my friend. If you're not already subscribed to Purple Dan's YouTube channel, what in the world is wrong with you? Fix that today for the best geology this platform has to offer. A huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon. Your financial, moral, and advisory support make all of this possible. If you'd consider joining them for as little as a dollar a month, please click on the link in the video description. Thank you everyone for watching. Until next time, later.